Well, what a mess we can get ourselves into when it comes to dating and relationships. In a real sense, as we introduced last time, the whole American concept of dating and relationships is based on deceiving oneself and, in some part, deceiving others. Moral guys are often looking for women who have the spirituality of their moms and the moves of Raquel Welch. And Christian women, on the other hand, are looking for someone who's a cross between St. Paul and Robert Redford. But even though reality in relationships is a must, phoniness is the name of the game, in the dating game. This has caused a lot of hostility. When we went through this series that I'm kind of summarizing for you in two sessions in our college ministry, I was standing in the back one Sunday morning and kind of one of our surfer guys came up to me and handed me a sheet of paper and laughed and he said, I want you to read this. This is my attitude toward dating. And I opened it up and it said, and some of you know this, and I'm sharing his review and for others who've never heard this, 10 reasons why a surfboard is better companion than a girlfriend. Careful, boys. <clears throat> Number one, it doesn't mind riding on top of the car. Number two, it won't leave you for another surfer if you forget about it for a few days. Number three, it won't expect you to spend a lot of money on it. Number four, it isn't worried about who your parents are. Number five, it doesn't mind being put on a leash. <clears throat> Number six, it won't give you headaches most of the time. It won't attempt to make you spend time with it when you'd rather be elsewhere. Number eight, it won't keep you up at night thinking about it. Number nine, it doesn't mind getting soaked for your enjoyment. And number ten, it likes being walked on. Again, like I said, this was an indication of hostility. But the refreshing thing about that was that after reading that to our college ministry, the very next week I received a rebuttal from the women. Ten reasons why a cat is better than a boyfriend. Number one, they're always loyal. Number two, they're always there when you need them. Number three, they don't have a hard time growing facial hair. <laughs> oh boy. Number four, they don't have unreal expectations for you to live up to. Number five, they don't mind eating off the floor. <laughs> Number six, they're not afraid to kill bugs. <clears throat> Number seven, they're always well-groomed. <clears throat> Number eight, they don't intimidate you. <laughs> Number nine, they have hair on their chest. <laughs> and number ten, they don't mind drinking out of the toilet. <clears throat> Again, I didn't write those. Dating and relationships can be tough, and the only way that we're ever going to do them right, and the only way we're going to make it to marriage without a lot of guilt, and the only way we're going to make it to marriage without a lot of bad habits and bad training, is if we do them according to God's rule book. The rules aren't new, in fact they're 2,000 years old, and they're the only rules that work. The only rules that work since they come straight from the manufacturer. They're his instructions. 
Last time, on Monday, we started our time with just some general questions on dating. And we asked and answered a few questions. And I want to reiterate this morning that I'm not an expert, that in my dating relationships in the past, as a non-Christian and as a Christian, I didn't do everything right. I made a lot of mistakes. And I want you to know, even as we kind of conclude this morning, my motives behind even sharing this with you. And that would be this, and involved with college students as, as long as I've been, you, you get your heart broken a lot because you pick up the pieces of gals who've been defrauded, guys who've made big mistakes. And after bearing that hurt for so long, your desire is to share with others before they make those mistakes so that they might live their lives according to the scripture in such a way that they would honor God and avoid a lot of the pain, unnecessary pain, a lot of the unnecessary hurt. And I want you to know that I speak to you this morning in light of that. I'm not trying to tell anybody, and I would not even presuppose as to tell anyone what to do in the area of dating and relationships. But I do want to share those principles that God has laid out in his scripture, and then allow you and assist you in making application, but will always remind you of those areas that I am making application so that you can choose and work through that yourself. I'm not the standard. God's word is. Now let's deal with him and his standard. And last time we talked about the danger of defraud. We talked about it being something out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, of taking someone that's not yours to take, saying something that's not yours to say. We talked about the implications of that. And we talked about the, just the simple sin of deceit and how it permeates the dating culture. And I want to pick up where we left off last time. Dating danger number three is the danger of des desire. The danger of desire. And I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in this chapter, God is showing us really the only life that's going to please God is the life that's lived under the direct control of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, say this. Verses 5 through 8. It says, Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit the things of the spirit for the mindset on the flesh is death but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace now note this because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh cannot please God this passage teaches us that the only way to please God is to live your life subject to the law or the word of God. And a life that's not dependent on the word of God is a person who's walking according to the flesh. And we know by a brief study of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that being filled with the spirit is very synonymous to being filled with the word of God. And letting your mind dwell on the word of God. So what's the point here? The point is, is that desires... Emotional highs, expectations, and experiences that are not found in or directed by the Word of God are to be avoided at all cost. Verse 7 tells us that it's those things that are not subject to the law of God could be of the flesh. And note, what I'm saying here is not all desire is evil. 
but your emotions were never intended to guide your life. And especially not guide your decision-making process as it relates to someone of the opposite sex or a commitment to someone of the opposite sex. We've got to watch our desires. It's funny when you ask gals about what kind of guy they want to marry, you hear them say, well, he's got to be six feet tall, good looking, dark hair, and drive a Porsche. It's really interesting when you kind of stick around for a few years, it's interesting what they finally end up with. The guy can be four feet one inch, have no hair, be overweight, and ride a moped. <laughs> but it's really foolish to let your desires dictate your behavior. Those who let their desires dictate their behavior in dating and relationships end up saying things like this. Well, we're going to get married, so it's okay to get into some petting. Well, I love her, so it's okay if we spend all our time together. Well, he's the only one who will ever meet my needs. She's the one who I've always dreamed of. There's no way I could go through life without him. She's the one who's really won my heart. She makes me feel good. This is the one exception. We're in love and we're growing. No one's perfect. We just won't sin again. Those are the people who allow desires to dictate their behavior in dating and relationships. And there's kind of a hidden principle here. And you may not like it, and I don't really like it all that much either. Because I'm just as much subject to my emotions and desires as you are. But the principle is this, that I really believe that God expects us to think through our dating and relationships. We are to plan in advance. Those people who let it happen naturally, usually let it happen wrong. It's the way it goes. That's human nature. Men and women, dating relationships must be based on principles, not preferences. It must be based on doctrine, not desires. Don't just let it happen. I uh, spent several years at Hume Lake Christian Camps, and I used to go to Kings Canyon, which is up in the Sierras, and I'd swim across the Kings River to a hidden cove called Tarzan Falls. And in order to do so, I had to spend a lot of time studying the river and studying the rocks because it was a fast-moving river. It's a very dangerous river. And if I didn't want anything to go wrong, such as a cramp, or if something were to go wrong, such as what happened to me one time where my tennis shoe, which you have to wear your shoes going through this because there's sharp rocks below, that one of my shoes just slipped off and acted like an anchor. It just was still tied to my leg, but was kind of acting as a drag as I was swimming across that you had to be real careful and you had to know exactly what you're doing because if something like that happened, you had to know where you go to rescue yourself or to so that you wouldn't swim or float downstream just 25 yards to some jagged rocks, which would definitely take your life. So you take the time studying the route. We thought through all the possible what-if scenarios. And if something did go wrong, then we knew what hap would have to happen. And one time I did have to plant myself on a rock and then jump to safety. But the interesting thing was that if we just swam across with no forethought and we had a problem, we'd be lost for sure. And it's the same with your contact with the opposite sex. Unless you study the principles and know without a doubt what has to be done in certain situations and what you will do in advance, then you will ruin that relationship. You will stumble in the physical realm, emotional realm. You'll crash spiritually, somehow, some way. Too many Christians fall into pride when it comes to their own hearts. I do too. 
But we, we think we know our own hearts. We think we can control our emotions. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is more deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Unless you're totally dependent on the word of God, you will not know whether your life is run by Satan, demonic influence, your own fallen flesh, some emotional whim, some previous bad teaching, a seared conscience, a bad pizza you ate the night before, or the Holy Spirit. Don't follow your feelings. Now, you won't like this next statement, most likely, but you're to fight your feelings. The Bible says so many places flee youthful lusts. Flee those desires. You know what lust means? Lust is very simple. It means strong desire. Strong desire. We're to flee those strong desires that would keep us from living our lives according to God's plan. So beware of that as a danger. I'm not putting down emotion. We're to live life with our physical being, our emotional being, our social being. All of our life is to be lived for God and God's glory. And our emotions are a part of that. In worship, it's a part of that. But don't allow your emotions to dictate your behavior, especially with the opposite sex. You'll end up losing that battle. Well, number four, the, sec the fourth danger and the second this morning is the sin of distraction. The sin of distraction. This sin alone is probably the biggest failure on Christians' part with their contact with the opposite sex. Please note, there will come a time when God says that someone of the opposite sex will be a distraction, and that person will be your spouse. They will be a distraction to your relationship with the Lord. But right now, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Is it on catching a man or pleasing God? Is it on pursuing marriage or loving a sis? Is it on securing a mate or obeying the word of God? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anytime you allow a relationship with someone to take priority over God, it's idolatry. Idolatry. And God is a jealous God. He's jealous for your attention, and he wants no competitors. Anytime you allow someone to pull you away from the Lord being first in your life, both you and that person are in big trouble. That's why dating a non-Christian is dumb. I mean, the Bible tells us that non-Christians are what spiritually? Dead. How'd you like to date a dead person? Hey, come on, honey. You know, drag her in the car. I, that's dumb. Unfortunately, relationship distraction happens all the time. You know, there was a time I was caught in the have-to-be-married syndrome. You been there? I was praying, Lord, send me a wife. I need a wife. I got to have a wife. That's the answer to all my problems, God. I need a wife. And I was starting to evaluate my dates, wondering which one was the one. And then I read Matthew uh, 6:33, which I just read, and I said to myself, I found the secret. I know what I have to do. All I have to do is seek God, and He'll give me my wife. And so I said, Lord, I'm seeking you. Where is she? <laughs> And then he showed me through prayer and his word that the real reason I was praying was because I wanted a wife, not because I wanted to seek him first. You know, the number one distraction of the Christian young person is the opposite sex. And I think if there's anything you gain from last Monday and today, gain this, that the number one test of your spiritual life as a single person is going to be how you deal with the opposite sex. It's really going to show where it's at. You know, that sometimes you, you tend to see a lot of spiritual people in your midst. But when they get with the opposite sex, you find out what they're really like. 
and how they deal with the opposite sex. It's a true test. It's a good test. Because the Bible even tells us that elders are to be evaluated by their families. It's a test of whether they can shepherd the flock of God. You can be tested in how you deal with the opposite sex. It's a real sign of your life and walk with God. And until you're willing to give up any and all relationships with the opposite sex in order to protect your walk with Christ, you really don't have God as your number one priority. Now, catch what I said, willing to give those up. That your love relationship with Him is so right and so strong and so pure that everything else would be secondary. And nothing should challenge you in your walk with God. Now, what does that mean? That means don't live for the one who loves you. Live for God. And the person who you love will then get the overflow of your walk with Christ. Finding a mate is not the ultimate answer to your loneliness. It's being the right man or woman of God. And there aren't any shortcuts. Augustine said, We were made for God himself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. David said, Thy presence is the fullness of joy and not a girl's presence. Colossians tells us that we're complete in Christ, not complete because of our new wonderful boyfriend or girlfriend. All of our needs, desires, hurts, loneliness can only be fully satisfied in Christ. And if they are not, if they are not satisfied in Christ, then those unfulfilled needs you will carry into marriage, which will result in some devastating consequences. Larry Crabb calls it two ticks and no dog. You know what that means? You know what a tick does. Feeds off a dog, sucks its blood. But you put two ticks together, there's no dog, nothing to feed off, and so they're feeding off empty shells. And it's a very frustrating situation. Your needs are to be satisfied in Jesus Christ and out of the resource of your relationship with Him, then you have the opportunity to give to another the rest of your life. And the Bible calls that marriage. The fifth dating danger is your destination. Where does all dating and relationships lead to? Well, for over 90% of you, it's going to lead to marriage. Would you look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 19 for a moment? And listen to what Jesus intended marriage to be. He says this in Matthew 19. It's a very familiar passage read at most wedding ceremonies. And basically, if you're going to really understand dating and relationships, you need to understand what God views and how he views marriage. But he says this, Matthew 19, verses 5 and 6, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. There are three things here that God makes very clear. First, if God intends for you to marry someday, he wants you to be in an exclusive one flesh relationship with that individual in every area. Now, this is my personal opinion. I believe that one flesh means more than just the physical expression. I believe it means emotionally, socially, mentally, and spiritually, as well as physically. And I think that that would mean that God would want you to be one flesh and only one flesh with no one except for your spouse. Ideally, and again I'm speaking ideally, God wants you to be one flesh in every area with only one individual and never, never have any comparisons or any competitors. Do you understand that? I want to kind of talk from the heart for a minute. There's a danger to old boyfriends and old girlfriends in marriage. There is a danger. Not so much old girlfriends and old boyfriends that were done according to God's word and God's plan. But old girlfriends and old boyfriends that were done not according to God's plan. 
those can hinder your future marriage relationship. Most of us are familiar with Gordon MacDonald and his recent failure in the moral area. Many of you don't know that it was an old girlfriend that he fell with. Old girlfriends, old boyfriends can be a real hindrance, especially when they're not done according to God's plan and God's word. You know, it even can hinder your body relationship and your body life. Think about it for a second. I was walking with a friend across a parking lot at our church. And all of a sudden we were walking along and this woman with two children, one in a stroller, one being held by her hand, called out to my friend to catch his attention. And she said hello and she was smiling and happy and waving. And he turned and he smiled and he waved. And then he turned back and his response was, oh. And I said, Ron, what the, what's going on? He says, well, you know, that was an old girlfriend of mine. And I'm married now and she's married now. And, you know, we just didn't do things the way that God intended for them to be done. And you know what? I can't fellowship with her. Yeah, I dealt with the sin, but I can't fellowship with her. And you know what? God never intended the body of Christ to be that way. We need to be very cautious as to what kind of relationships we establish. You're saying, well, does that mean I've blown it if I had an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend? No. It's just a motivation for you to say, hey, let me do things right now. So that as I enter into marriage, I'm not looking back at a whole bunch of regrets. And thoughts as if I could look back at an old girlfriend and say, boy, what if I had married so-and-so? You don't need that in your marriage relationship, especially when you're being tested. We deal with so many people who struggle early on in marriage, whether they married the right guy or right gal when the pressure gets on, and it's simply because they're starting the comparison track. Why invite that? Secondly, Jesus says that God is the one who joins people together. God is the one who joins people together. And you know what that means? If you're struggling with marriage, and if you're honest with yourself, most of you are to some degree, that God has already sovereignly picked the man and woman that you're to be with. You know what? In His plan, it's already done. Perfectly. The right person, just for you. And if that's true, maybe that should encourage you to not be so uptight about the process. Thirdly, remember that what you do now is going to affect the way you treat your future mate. Let me say that again. What you do now will affect the way that you treat your future mate. Don't ever think that you can make all kinds of mistakes now, and I'm speaking outside of the area of the physical, just every area of life, that you can make all kinds of mistakes now, and it's not going to matter later. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says that you will reap what you what? Reap what you sow. Isn't it a shame that the one person that you love more than life itself will have to pay for all the bad choices you made when you were not living according to the Bible. That's heavy, isn't it? Well, as we wrap this up, let me give you some do's, some direction, some things that are positive principles that you can begin to display in your own dating relationships. First of all, some plans or principles in which to guide your life in a positive manner. Number one, glorify God. Glorify God. How do you do that? Well, negatively, if you can honestly say that every conversation, every place visited, every date, every commitment, every expression of affection could be done in the presence of your parents or your pastor, that's a start. Sounds a little boring. But glorify God. 
negatively or positively, if you can say that your number one focus is to please Jesus Christ in all you do, then you can know that your date life glorifies God. Secondly, the second direction is be a testimony. Make it your goal to be a testimony. You know, Ephesians 5 shows us that marriage is to be like the church, a testimony to the world. And people should know just by watching you, just by watching you have fun without sin, they should know that there's something uniquely different about you as you spend time with the opposite sex. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be too radical because our world is really degenerated. Thirdly, another direction would be that you could make sure that you're both growing, that you're both growing. Make sure that you're building up that other person to be more like Jesus Christ and encouraging them in their Christian walk. And if you're not, have the guts before you get into that kind of relationship to say, if we are not growing and we don't see progress in our spiritual life, we'll get out. That's the number one indicator that God's not in it. As all of a sudden your growth stops or you go backwards. A fourth direction is to get tough. This is a little bit hurtful. But resist going too fast too soon. Budget your time together. Watch your gifts and your promises. Get accountable to an older Christian who's going to ask you the tough questions when they need to be asked. Evenly pace your relationships so that they don't excel in one area over another. Don't jump too quickly into a one-on-one -on -one relationship or one-on-one -on -one dating. Don't jump too quickly. I'm not saying don't do it. Just don't jump too quickly into that. Use a natural contact that God has given us as Christians. He's given us chapels. He's given us the master's college classes together in order to, to help us to assist to get to know people. He's given us church and body life. He's given us small group contact as you are participating ministry teams and in other projects through this campus. And then I would really suggest, and I don't know, maybe there's two or three guys that would like to jump on the bandwagon. But I would really suggest, and again, suggest, okay, that two or three of you guys get together and make it a practice to get real creative and ask out five or six girls, the more the merrier. Make sure that it's an odd number so you don't pair up and just go out and have a good time with the opposite sex. And I just want to share from a personal testimony that that was the most refreshing and funnest time that I ever had in dating relationships. The reason is because us guys, we got together and we were as creative as we possibly could be. We tried to show those gals the best time that we could ever show them. We did all kinds of things that we dreamt about for years doing, but you couldn't ever do on a one-on-one -on -one date because you'd be too intimidated. And we asked the girls the questions we always wanted to ask girls. We found out what they were really like. They're weird. They're different. I mean, it's just strange. You know, I mean, it's just, it was incredible. You know, females are different than guys. You know, we think... Oh, settle this issue. And we found out that that's not the way the gals function. They're different than us. And it was really exciting and refreshing. And these gals began to expose because they weren't in fear of us matching up somewhere. And they started asking us some pretty pointed questions. And all of a sudden, we began to learn about the opposite sex without having to make artificial commitments and all kinds of... I just recommend that. I'm not telling you have to do it. I just recommend it as a refreshing way to get out of the fishbowl that you guys are in here at this campus. And then fifthly, or fourthly, just do some double stuff. Get two of you together and pair off. It really saves you from a lot of the uncomfortable tension that you put yourself in on a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And then after you've established a solid friendship, seeing each other in ministry, spending a good amount of time together in a variety of situations, and if there's the confirmation of friends and family and that kind of thing, 
then maybe enter into the one-on-one thing. But watch yourself. You know, our dating mentality is jump right into the one-on-one and all of a sudden we have to have an instant friendship, an instant intimacy, and that really isn't the way God designed us. Take your time. Don't be in such a rush. Fifthly, a fifth direction is to subject yourself and serve. What I mean by subject yourself is don't go against your parents, whether they're saved or unsaved. Stay in submission. And then also, a number one key to success in any marriage is to be a servant. That is the number one glue, apart from being a Christian, is to be a servant. The key to any relationship is to be able to observe the other in a long-term service. Start serving somewhere, and if they can't serve in the body of Christ, they're going to make a terrible mate. A terrible mate. And finally, a dating direction is to build memories. Man, this is the richest time of your life. Probably the funnest time, the greatest memories that you may build in your life may be these years. Build some memories. Get creative. You know, there's more to life than dinner and a show. True. Get creative. Let me give you some ideas, okay? You'll probably hate half of them, but that's okay. Visit an airport terminal and watch some people make up stories about where they're from. Plus, watch airplanes land and take off. Go on a picnic, but don't make your lunch. Go uh, give yourself a $10 allowance. Go to the store and build your picnic with just 10 bucks. Spend an afternoon in the kitchen together making cookies. Eat some and give others away to your neighbors and unsafe friends. Buy $5 worth of public transportation tickets. See how far you can go and then still get back. <laughs> Buy a roll of film and see how just how many crazy pictures you can take of each other by trading turns back and forth. And if you can afford it, develop the roll the same day. Go to a golf course. And if it's not too busy, rent a cart and drive around. <laughs> or just go to the driving range and hit a bucket of balls and make up some fun contests. Or just say, oh, here's my RA. You know, I kind of think. Show some old, show some old movies. And then uh, break out the picture albums and start asking questions. Rent a VCR and a couple of G-rated movies and invite all your friends over for some fun and popcorn. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Go to the library, read some books in the children's section, watch some movies, call each other on the public phones outside, make up, uh, look up old magazines and newspapers from the day you were born, listen to records and more. Go to maternity waiting room in the hospital and for some free television, bring goodies to eat and share them with waiting fathers. <clears throat> Go on a bike ride. See how slow you can go, how precise you can ride. Follow the leader. See how far you can coast. Grab a pickup truck and load it with all kinds of fancy furniture. Have someone chauffeur you to the drive-in. Watch a G-rated flick and they serve you dinner in the back of the truck before the first show. Rent a rowboat and have a friend row you all over the lake while you two sit in the back and enjoy the scenery. Bury some treasure in a large field and make a map and then spend the rest of the afternoon trying to find where you buried it. And then one of my favorites is go to a nursery and find out what kind of plant you like and then buy one and take it home and plant it. But of course, if it dies, you have to break up. Um, the interesting thing that I want to recall to your attention is that I think we've got it backwards in our society. What we do is we pour on all the creativity and all the romance and we do all this before marriage and then we get marriage, we retire, guys, to our easy chair. I really believe it's just the opposite. I believe you're cautious with your, quote, romance and your creativity before you get married. And when you get engaged, you pour it on. And when you get married, you really pour it on. And that's your lifestyle for the rest of your life. It shouldn't stop when you get married. It should only get better. 
I had the opportunity to disciple a young man for about a year and a half to two years. And my wife happened to disciple a young lady for the same period of the time. And they happened to uh, all of a sudden start getting interested in each other. And what was so exciting was to watch his heart as he grew in love with her, but was very cautious, never defrauded her, never lied to her, never made promises that he couldn't follow through. And the whole time in their dating relationship, as they progressed from group settings and ministry settings, then to smaller group settings, to double settings, and then finally to one-on-one setting, as they progressed, the whole time she thought that John loved her, but she didn't know really for sure whether John loved her, because he never told her that. But they began to grow incredibly in love with one another, and it became very obvious that God intended them to marry, and yet there was still a lot of concern, a lot of caution. And the exciting thing was that my wife and I, every evening, got to compare notes, because she'd be meeting with Martha, and I'd be meeting with John, and we'd go, Ooh, guess what? You know, Martha's dying, and John's killing himself, and you know, they're all just desperately ill, but they didn't, they just made sure that they never sinned, they never lied. They never disobeyed God's principles, and they were learning whether they were really intended to be married. The interesting thing is they met uh, on a backpack that was done through our department up in the Mammoth Lakes. And then a year later, they went on the backpack again. And what was so exciting was all throughout their courtship, as John and I had talked, he, he saved pictures, ticket stubs, everything that they had ever done together, everything he saved. And he put it in a manual, a little photo album, that he made himself. And he brought that on the backpack, and they climbed the high mountain that's the most beautiful mountain, one of the most beautiful mountains in the world. And they got up on top of that mountain, or at least halfway up, and he whipped out this thing out of his backpack, and he began to just turn page by page, recalling the memories that they had lived and enjoyed together. And then he got to the last page. He closed the book, and he prayed. And then he opened the book... And he told her for the first time, I love you, and I want you to be my wife. And he opened the back page, and there was her ring. Oh, it gets better. And then, and then, he kissed her for the very first time. Now, I don't know... Maybe you're thinking that's too hokey. But I'll tell you what, the most precious memories to both of them are those moments. And the world cannot even come close to that kind of romance. You know, it can work God's way, but it takes a lot of guts, it takes a lot of hard work. You know, I uh, try and take the opportunity to uh, creatively date my wife, and I try and live up the exhortation that it should only get better. And the funny thing was, uh, a while back, my wife and I went on a date, and I gave her three bucks, and I gave myself three bucks. (laughs) And we went to the store with the goal of buying things that represented our love for one another, just creatively. And we've been married, you know, at that point, we were married six years, and interesting thing is she came out of the store and we went out to dinner and we just had a great dinner. We were talking about all kinds of stuff and then we got out our little presents and uh, I shared mine with her and then she whipped out a candy bar. She said, because you're so sweet and you're tender. 
Now, you know, that may mean anything to you, but that meant a lot to me. And then she whipped out these stickers that had the Spider-Man, Incredible Hulk, and... <laughs> and she says, because you're my superhero. You lead me. You, you show me. You protect me. And then she whipped out a log for the fireplace, and she said, because you're my lover. <laughs> you know what I mean? It only gets better. I hope and pray that you understand the spirit in which I've shared these things with you. It would be my desire to point you to a different way. A different way than the world presents to us. And that we are, as Christians, to live a higher calling. And I want you to know something. That though the higher calling at times is tough... The fruit and the benefit of that higher calling and the blessing that comes from that it can't, can't even be touched. I hope and pray I've planted some seeds in your heart for the future. Let's pray.